today on The Journey. You who have trusted in Christ, you have been given the fullness of Christ. That means that we have been given everything we need to do whatever God wants us to do and be whatever God wants us to be. Freedom, as defined by our licentious culture, is a gilded cage. Rather than giving us liberty to pursue God's best, it makes us free from righteousness and slaves to sin. Today, Ron Moore hands us the key that makes escape possible and soaring flight a reality. Also, we want you to know about a companion devotional to this series. There you'll learn how to share in Christ's overflowing life, a life full of joy and passion. It's available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with part one of a message titled, Overflowing, Fully Free, On The Journey. When I was 19 years old, I was a sophomore in college, and my dad was having some health issues, and on a certain day was scheduled for surgery. So most of us in our family came home that day, and I remember sitting in a waiting room, and I had a test to study for, so I had brought my material, and I was studying for this test. It was early in the morning. I remember that after a period of time, a doctor appeared at the door. I didn't know who the doctor was, but my mom recognized him as a surgeon. His face was very solemn, and I remember my mom, as she looked in his face, saying these words, it's not cancer, is it? And he said, yes, and I remember my mom just breaking down right there. We went to a room 30 minutes later, and there the doctor met with us, and he explained things were not good. There wasn't much time for my dad. I remember my dad going home and watching this man, my hero, this healthy, vibrant, strong individual, just go downhill. This disease eating his very life away. And how difficult that was and how much I came to just despise that disease. Just as cancer impacts the human body, so there are diseases that impact the body of Christ. And if these sicknesses in the body of Christ are not treated, a once healthy, thriving, vibrant body can see rapid and sometimes irreversible decline and impact. Now, that's the danger of what's going on in Colossae. And that's why the founder of the church in Colossae, a man named Epaphras, has gone to see Paul to deal with these diseases that are going on in the church. And that's why Paul writes his letter. And as we continue through this book, we come today, open your Bibles to chapter 2, and we're going to look at diseases that come into the church. Today, in our passage, we're going to look at Paul addressing a disease a certain group of people held that they were the only ones who could really understand God. They had this high and secret knowledge that only the best and brightest could attain. And in the second century, this disease was called Gnosticism. The word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know, knowledge. 
there was an element of syncretism. And all syncretism means is that there's a lot of stuff mixed together and it made it very messy. The various Christian doctrines were taken and then they were mixed with Jewish traditions and ceremonies and, and then they were mixed with some of the Oriental and Asian religions. And it was put out as one body of doctrine. The second problem with Gnosticism was there was a special knowledge of truth possessed by the spiritually enlightened. It wasn't for ordinary believers. So if you were a Gnostic, you were on this upward plane. You were living on a higher shelf. And all those old poor other blokes, they just didn't quite get it like you did. You were the enlightened ones. The third description, a separation between matter and spirit. Matter was evil in their view, and the source of all evil. So there was a lot of asceticism that took place there where people would beat their bodies because matter was evil, the flesh was evil, and that's where evil came from, which leads us to the next critical one, number four, the denial of the humanity of Christ. Since matter was evil in their view, then Christ couldn't be human. Christ couldn't take on evil flesh. And so when he was on the cross, that looked like him hanging there, but it really wasn't. And when he taught it, Sounded like him teaching, but it really wasn't. It was a very mystical type of religion. Number five, God was so far above humans that he could only be worshipped through angels. So they had these lists of spirits through which you could interact with God. So there was this false humility. Paul's going to talk about that in our passage. People said, God is so far up there. He is so great, and we're so low. We're just humans that there's no way we can get to God. And so they created their own way to God, and that was this list of spirit beings, the worship of angels. And then there's one more. They regarded the revelation of the Old Testament and the New Testament to be from two different gods. The mission of Christ, they said, came from a higher power than the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Judaism. Now, don't you hear people say that today? I like the God of the New Testament, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of grace, but I don't like the God of law. Gnosticism. So here's how Paul begins to deal with this issue in the church at Colossae, verse 8. He's talking to believers. He says, see to it, beware, make certain that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Make certain that no one, the word captive means kidnap. No one kidnaps you and carries you away from the body of truth and carries you into another land of error. Make certain no one takes you captives and takes you off into a hollow and empty, a worthless philosophy, a deceptive philosophy that leads you away from God rather than keeping your focus on Christ. See, this was a philosophy that depended on the traditions of man. That's why it's akin to legalism. It depended on worldly principles rather than Christ. Now, Paul goes on in this passage and he starts addressing the legalist. But he picks up again on the Gnostics in verse 18. So turn over to chapter 2, verse 18. He says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. 
He's saying that that person who says that God is so far up there and we are so far down here that we can't get to him on our own. So here are all these spirits by which you can access God. That is just false humility. They are puffed up by their idle notions, by their own man-made philosophies. Because anytime you err from this book, the Bible, and you start going off on your own, that's not humility. The opposite is true. Puffed up by idle notions. Again, worthless notions. Now, Paul says, if you follow these false teachers, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be disqualified from the prize. Now, does that mean that a believer can lose his or her salvation? Does disqualification from the prize mean that you are no longer a Christian? No. Because we see throughout Scripture that when God calls you to Himself and He places you in His kingdom as a child of God, in His family, He will never renegotiate that promise He has made to you. We see it in John chapter 10. Jesus says, I hold you in my hand. Nothing can snatch you out of my hand. My Father is greater than I, and He holds you in His hand. Nothing can snatch you out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There is a double security on the life of the believer. We see that all the way through the New Testament, through the Gospels, through the teachings of Christ. And we get in the letters of Paul in Romans chapter 8. It says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Height nor depth, angels nor principalities, things present nor things future, things on earth, things in heaven, life or death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what's it mean to be disqualified from the prize? Let me try to illustrate it like this. When I was a teaching in Texas at a school called Sunnyvale Junior High, teaching some junior high students, there was this kid named Matt, and Matt was a great long-distance runner. We didn't have a cross-country team, so we found out there was a cross-country meet on the other side of town. So I took Matt, and I wanted to take him to go run in this cross-country meet, his first ever cross-country meet. I didn't want him to go by himself, so I went and got a guy named Rooster. I never knew what his real name was, Rooster, and um, a guy named Shane. And I picked him up, and I said, you're going with me. And they said, where are we going? I said, well, you don't want to know. You won't go with me if you know, but just come with me. You're going to be with Matt, and we're going to have a good time. So they went with me to run this cross-country race. So we all got it. The coaches got at the starting point, and Matt got there. And man, he was so excited, and Rooster and Shane, they were there as well. And the gun sounded, and Matt took off and did great in his first cross-country race. In fact, he went on to run at the Texas A&M. Great runner. Well, Matt came in, and he finished the race, and then all the other people came in, except for Rooster and Shane. And the other coaches were saying, where are these guys? And saying, I don't know. Did they get lost? I'm not for sure. And after a while, I was embarrassed because we were waiting on my two runners. And I started walking the cross-country track and saw them, and they were just walking together, laughing and joking, just having a great time. And they saw me, and then they just took off running as fast as they could. And I said, guys, forget it. Just forget it. Let's just go to the car. It's too embarrassing to go back to the finish line with those other coaches. Let's just go to the car. Now, did that break our relationship? No. We still had a great relationship. Did it disqualify them from that race? Yeah. You can't get a prize when you stop halfway through and go to the car. <laughs> so we can live our Christian life where a relationship with Jesus is still there and still be disqualified from His blessing here on earth, from the closeness of that relationship. 
that we have with Him. And even heavenly rewards when we are in heaven with Him. Now, here's a question. When you look at the issue of Gnosticism, what is the real issue? Look at verse 19. Paul now is writing about the false teachers, and he said, here's the problem. He, the false teacher, has lost connection with the head, with Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. The false teacher is like a pile of dead bones. There is no muscle there. There is no sinew there. There's nothing to hold the bones together. There's nothing to allow the bones to stand up. There's nothing to allow the bones to move forward. They've lost connection with the head. You see, that's the issue. When you lose connection with Jesus, when you separate yourself from Him, when you choose to go your way instead of His way, now you get problems. Now you're in heresy. Now you're far from Him. Now here's a question. You think Gnosticism in the New Testament, was that just something for the second century? Or is it showing itself today? I went on Amazon.com and typed in a search for Gnosticism. How many hits do you think I got? 8,000 hits on Gnosticism. Here are some of the books. Living Gnosis, A Practical Guide to Gnostic Christianity. Gnosis of the Cosmic Christ. Here's one you may want to get. Complete Idiot's Guide to the Gnostic Gospels. <laughs> the Gnostic Gospels, including the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, Sacred Wisdom. You see, the problem with all this, and one way to really evaluate all these teachings, they are out there and there'll be more coming. The one way to evaluate all these teachings is what does it do with the person of Christ? Christ has to be central. We as Christians need to live, must live a Christocentric life. And when Christ is not the center, when other things become the focus in any belief system, whatever we're doing, we're on a slippery slope. We have lost connection with the head. Go back to chapter 2, verse 9. Addressing the Gnostic, Paul says this, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Now what essential doctrine did Paul just state in that verse? In Christ, the fullness of all deity, he is what? Fully God, lives in bodily form. He is what? Fully man. Only Jesus is the one who was both fully God and fully man. And being fully God, he lost none of his humanity. And in being fully man, he lost none of his deity. He is unique there. This doctrine of Christ being fully God, fully man, is the basis on which Christianity rises or falls. 
If he was God but not man, his death for us was nothing. He didn't die for us as one of us if he wasn't man. And if he was just a man but not God, his death did absolutely nothing for the sins of the world any more than your death or mine would have done. But since he is fully God and fully man, therein lies the difference. And that's why we can say he is the only way to God. Not created beings, but he's the one, fully God, fully man, God himself, who came to this earth, who died for us on a cross as a man, perfect, sinless. And his sacrifice means something. It paid the penalty for our sins. It's even better. Look at verse 10. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. You, believer, you who have trusted in Christ, you have been given the fullness of Christ. Now that does not mean you are a little God walking around. That means that we have been given everything we need to do whatever God wants us to do and be whatever God wants us to be. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit living in us. Does it mean we will obey every time? No, but it means we can obey every time because the power of God lives in us to live a life pleasing to Him, to be who He wants us to be and do what He wants us to do. So how do we live this overflowing life? How do we do that? Let's look at chapter 2, verse 6. These are basic principles. First one, chapter 2, verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as what? Lord. That word means master. That word means He is in control of your life. Now that does not mean on day one that you're going to be able to turn everything over to Him because He's going to show you some things along the way that you need to turn over to Him. As you read His Word, He's going to show you that you have not submitted this part of your life to Him. He wants to be the master of everything in your life. And He should be because you have trusted in Him. You've received Him, Paul says, as Lord. If you don't trust Him as master, He's not in control of everything in your life. So the first challenge of an overflowing life is to say, Christ, are you controlling everything in my life? What am I not submitting to you? What am I not giving over to you? Here's the second thing. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to what? Live in Him. That means conduct your life according to Christ's teaching. Conduct your life according to what He says. How can you know what He says? You have to read His Word. You cannot live a life pleasing to God unless you are regularly, ideally daily, in His Word. And as you read His Word, He shows you, man, I have read that a hundred times, but this time I realize I've not submitted that part of my life to Him. If you want to live an overflowing life, then you have to be in His Word. Third thing, look at verse 7. Rooted and built up in Him. That is application. You got to not only know it, but you have to do it. Don't be only hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. You have to be reading it. You have to be applying it. And then look at the next one. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught. In one word, that is doctrine. You have to study and understand doctrine. 
Doctrine is not a bad word. Doctrine should not be a word that bores us. Doctrine simply means what I believe. And what we believe better be what God teaches us in His Word. So when we hide God's Word in our heart, and we know what the Bible says about God, and then we live in this world with all this stuff going on about us, from the culture to movies to people around us, the different philosophies going on, and those things try to get into our life, when God's Word is in our heart, we say, you know what? That's not what God's Word says about Jesus. I won't let it into my heart. That's not what God's Word says about the Holy Spirit. I reject that teaching. Because why? I know doctrine. God's Word is hidden in my heart, and you cannot do that unless you're students of His Word. And then one more thing. Overflowing with thanksgiving. If you're a thankful person, realizing that Jesus Christ lives within you fully. Don't you think that believers should set the pace for a life of thanksgiving? That the most thankful people should be believers. They should be overflowing with thanksgiving. Now here's the practical deal of that. When you're thankful, you're not looking for other stuff to make you happy or to fill that hole of contentment in your heart. Because Jesus is the one that fills your heart overflowing with thanksgiving. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. Would you like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus? One who experiences His power, peace, truth, and joy? Well, that's what Paul wanted for the Colossian church, and his letter to them still resonates with our hearts today. Let it resonate with yours by claiming your copy of Ron Moore's devotional titled Overflowing. This digital companion to the audio series we're currently enjoying will fill your soul with security, commitment, and liberty in Christ. You can get yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmoore.org. That's ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now let's rejoin Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. How did God transform the believer at the cross? Look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Now think about that. You were dead. A corpse cannot move. A corpse cannot reach out. A corpse can't do any work. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. God made you alive with Christ. And then look at the next line. He forgave us all our sins. The believer is fully forgiven. What is better than that? To be able to live your life knowing that your sins are forgiven, not because of something you have done, but because of Christ, because of the cross. God made you alive. You were dead. I was dead. I couldn't reach out. God made me alive with Christ, and He forgave all my sins. Now, how did He do that? Look at verse 14. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code that stood against us. The word written code is a technical term that means written acknowledgement of debt. It's like an IOU. 
personally signed by the debtor. So the debtor sees it, says, that's right, I owe this debt, I can't pay it, and signs his name. It's placed in a public place for all to see. So we all have a written acknowledgement of debt with the details of our sin, and we have no legal leg to stand on. A written acknowledgement that stands opposed to us, and it has my signature on it. I can't deny anything on it. Well, look what happens. God forgave us our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that stood against us, and He took it away. God canceled it. Now, how did He do that? It wasn't because He just had a good day and said, I think I'll just forgive everyone their sins today. Look what He does. He nails it to the cross. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And to help you experience the abundant life, we invite you to download a PDF copy of Overflowing. It's a powerful reminder that Christ has provided all you need for life and godliness, a life filled to overflowing. Overflowing is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmore.org. That's ronmore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.